The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Jack Wilson, and this is the History of Literature. Episode 3A, Odysseus Leaves Calypso. So I've been getting some great responses to the podcast, which I appreciate very much. I always love to hear from listeners and and readers of the blog. It's really what keeps me going is the feedback. Several people have responded to my (laughs) comparison of Achilles and Odysseus to Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny. I seem to have touched a nerve with that one. It was kind of a throwaway comment that perhaps should have just been thrown away, literally thrown away. Instead, I slipped it into the show and left it in. All the comments were amusing and gratifying. I'm very grateful for the feedback. And most of the comments were polite. So (laughs) one commenter wrote an angry email full of profanity and said, um, I'll quote the part that I can quote here. Um, let's see. I, oh, here it is. I also wanted to object to the Bugs Bunny thing. Bugs is a cartoon in every sense. Odysseus is not a cartoon in any sense. The email goes on, but I'll stop there. Which is interesting. Odysseus has been made into a cartoon, of course, but I don't think that's what the commenter's talking about. I take his point that Bugs Bunny is a cartoon, not just because he's animated, but because he's rarely serious. What's, if you think about it, what's the most complex emotion that Bugs Bunny expresses? Fear, maybe? (laughs) Pride? He's more of a wisecracking bully. Now, if I've Slighted Bugs Bunny, let me know. I'm sure I'll hear from you. But I think that's accurate to say that Bugs Bunny is rather two-dimensional. But what about Odysseus? And remember, this is ancient poem. There's no reason why we should expect it to be as rich and full and well-developed as the characters that you would see in a novel today. We'll take a look. Uh, I chose a passage here. I'm using the Stephen Mitchell translation, which I think I praised in the last episode, but I didn't uh, quote from. I'll give you a, a taste of that here. Now, remember that as part of his wanderings, Odysseus lives for seven years on an enchanted island with the goddess Calypso. And Hermes is dispatched by the gods to rescue him. You may wonder why someone needs to be rescued, if that's the right verb, from an enchanted island that you're spending with a goddess, where you're the the favored lover of a goddess. Not all of us would necessarily think we should be rescued from that. Odysseus, however, gives us a different lesson, a different sets a different example. Because for all of the pleasures, and remember that part of the complexity here is that Odysseus appreciates Calypso. It's not like she's tormenting him or uh, that he's somehow dissatisfied. But for all of the appreciation for Calypso, Odysseus cannot shake his yearning for home. 
That's the force that animates him, that animates the entire poem. Animates, of course, uh, was an unintended pun. And I know I railed against puns in an earlier episode of the Restless Mind Show, but you know what? I'll leave it in. I think puns are okay if they're unintended and if you own them. So here we go. I warn you, I'm no Ian McKellen, but I will do my best. This is Calypso's Last Night with Odysseus from Book 5. Right away, Hermes did as Zeus had commanded. He laced to his feet the beautiful golden sandals that could fly him across the water and over the earth as fast as the wind, and he picked up the rod that spellbinds the eyes of men and puts them to sleep or wakes them, and down through the upper air he flew till he stepped onto the crest of Pieria, and from there he swooped down onto the sea, and he skimmed the water like a seagull hunting for fish as it dives through the dread troughs of the waves and moistens its wings in the spray. But when he came to the island that lay far off in the midst of the violet sea, he landed and walked until he came to the cavern where the nymph lived. He found her at home. A fire burnt on the hearth, and the scent of cedar and juniper spread far out over the island. Inside, Calypso was sweetly singing as she moved back and forth at her loom and wove with a golden shuttle. In front of the entrance, a luxuriant wood grew, alders, poplars, and fragrant cypresses, where many large birds made their nests. Horned owls and falcons and loud screeching cormorants who fly to the sea for their living. And all around the mouth of the cavern, a vine trailed, heavy with grapes. Four clear springs bubbled up there near one another and flowed with clear water, then turned off in four directions and in meadows on either side of them violets bloomed and wild parsley. Even a god who came to that place would marvel, and the messenger Hermes stood there marveling at it. And when he looked around to his heart's content, he entered the cave. Calypso knew who he was. Gods know each other at once, no matter how seldom they meet. But he did not find Odysseus inside the cave. He was on the shore, sitting and watching the sea, as he often did racking his heart with groans and with bitter weeping. Calypso had Hermes sit down on a polished chair, then asked, What brings you here, Hermes? This is an honor. You are always most welcome, and what a long time it has been. Say what is on your mind. I shall certainly do it if I can, and if it is something that may be done. The goddess drew up a table with a large plate of ambrosia on it and mixed him a cup of red nectar, and he ate and drank. And when he had finished his meal and refreshed himself, he said to her, Goddess, you ask me why I have come here, and I shall tell you the truth. It was Zeus who sent me. I came here at his command. For who would willingly make this long journey across the vast and fathomless waters without one city where mortals make their due offerings to the gods? But truly no god can ever evade or cancel the will of Zeus. He says that you have a man here, who has suffered more than all others who went to Troy. For nine long years they fought there, and in the tenth they plundered the city of Priam. But on their way to the ships, they committed a crime that offended Athena, and she raised fierce winds and violent waves against them. All his companions were drowned, but as that man clung to the keel for dear dear life, 
the high winds carried him here. Zeus tells you to let him go now, immediately. It is not ordained that he spend his life here with you on this island. He is fated to reach his country and finally see his home and the people he loves. Hearing those words, Calypso shuddered and said, You are all hard-hearted, you gods, and envious too. You hate it whenever a goddess sleeps with a man, even if she has chosen him as her husband. You were just as malicious that time when rose-fingered Dawn made love to Orion. You envied her, and at last Artemis hunted him down in Ortigia and shot him. And the time when Demeter yielded to her desire and lay in love with the Asian in the field of the three plowed furrows, soon enough Zeus found out and, furious, struck him dead with a bolt of lightning. In just the same way, you envy me now for living with a mortal man. I rescued him as he floated alone, astride the keel of his ship, when Zeus had blown it apart with lightning on the dark sea. All his companions were drowned, but as that man clung to the keel for dear life, the high winds carried him here. I took care of him, and I loved him. I even offered to make him unaging and deathless. But since no god can ever evade or cancel the will of Zeus, I shall let him leave, if that is what Zeus commands, and shall see that he sails away from this island, although I don't have the means to give him a ship and sailors to carry him home. Yet willingly, with good grace, I promise to do whatever is in my power to send him off on his way to his own dear country. Hermes answered her, Good, see that you do it, and don't provoke Zeus, or you will be very sorry. With these words he left, and at once Calypso set out to look for Odysseus. She found him sitting and weeping on the shore. His sweet life was ebbing away as he mourned for Ithaca. No longer did the nymph please him. At night, it is true, he slept with her in her cave, but there was no choice. She was passionate, and he had to. But by day, he would sit on the rocky beach and look out over the restless sea and shed bitter tears. The beautiful goddess came to him now and said, Poor fellow, don't grieve any more. Don't weep your heart out. I am ready at last to send you away. So come. Cut down some trees and make a boat with long timbers and an upper deck so that it can carry you safely across the wide sea. And I shall stock it myself with food and water and wine, enough for the voyage, and clothing as well, and shall send a fair wind behind you to take you all the way home to your own dear country, if that is the will of the heavenly gods. It is in their power and not in mine to decide what happens. When he heard this, noble, much enduring Odysseus shuddered and said to her, Goddess, how can you tell me to cross the vast gulf of waters in a small boat? The sea is fearful and dangerous. Even the largest and fastest ships are not always able to cross it. You must have some other purpose here, not my homecoming. I shall not set out on a boat unless I am sure of your good intentions, unless you give me your oath that you aren't plotting some further mischief against me. The goddess smiled and patted his hand and said, What a great rascal you are. No one with a mind less cunning than yours would ever have thought such a thing. All right, let earth be my witness, and heaven above and the downward flowing waters of Styx, the greatest, most terrible oath that we immortals can take, that I am not plotting the slightest mischief against you. I am only considering what I should do myself if I were in your situation. 
I really do feel for you. My heart isn't made of iron. With these words, Calypso got up and led the way, and Odysseus followed after her in her footsteps. And when they had entered the cave, Odysseus sat down on the same chair that Hermes had just got up from. And the nymph put before him the choicest of things that mortals eat and drink, and she sat down opposite him, and her handmaids brought out ambrosia and nectar for her. They helped themselves to the meal that had just been served, and when they had taken their pleasure in eating and drinking, the beautiful goddess was first to speak, and she said, Noble son of Laertes, subtle Odysseus, are you really going to leave me now and return to your own dear country? Well, I wish you the best. Yet if you had any idea of all the hardships you will have to endure before you can ever reach home, you would stay with me here and let me make you a mortal. However you long for that wife of yours, whom you think of day in and day out. But I am not any less attractive than she is, surely, in face or figure. And indeed, it would be unimaginable for a mere woman to come even close to a goddess in beauty. And Odysseus, the great tactician, answered her, Goddess, don't be angry. I know it as well as you do, that Penelope isn't as tall as you or as lovely. And yes, she is only a woman, while you are immortal and will never grow old. I know that. Yet even so, I can't help longing for home. And if some god does wreck me during the voyage, I will endure it. My heart knows how to endure great hardships. Before now I have suffered many, both on the sea and in war, and if I must suffer another hardship, so be it. As they were speaking, the sun set and darkness came on, and they moved further into the cave, and they made love with great pleasure, and then they slept in each other's arms. Oh, that's so good. The I just floored. I was floored by reading... Uh, the Odyssey and the Iliad, um, even though I've read them both before, uh, it was a great pleasure for me to return to them. The mind of Odysseus in that passage is conveyed so beautifully, the way he's filled with multiple con conflicting emotions and how he reconciles them, and the way his cunning nature makes him suspicious, and the open spirit of the goddess who recognizes that and teases him about it. And she has a heavy heart. You see, she's a little bit vain herself. She's a little bit, uh, although she's has a generous spirit in letting him go, ultimately, I think there's part of her that's perturbed that in some ways he's been choosing Penelope, the mortal, over her, the goddess. We see all this through the phrase, uh, through the phrases like, she smiled and patted his hand. I think that that phrase... 3,000 years later, and the emotion and humanity rings through with that phrase. She smiled and patted his hand. These are two uh, lovers who have known each other for seven years, familiar with each other, with each other's moods and thoughts. And the way she reassures him, she smiled and patted his hand. Writers today cannot improve on that simple, effective description. And her beautiful insistence that she feels for him, she understands his longing for home, even as her pride, it's pride. That's what it is. It comes across that way to me. And Odysseus then responds with flattery. 
But I almost sense something else, too. I sense that Calypso is pointing this out for Odysseus's sake. She's saying, you can go, but are you sure you wouldn't be happier here? It's up to you. That, that emotion on Calypso's part feels genuine to me. It's worthy of a goddess, a magnanimous, big-hearted goddess who has fallen in love with a mortal and sometimes has to indulge his mistakes and gently corrects them when it's for his own good. All that, and then the way the lovemaking registers the shift in tone, that when Odysseus is unhappy, there's an asymmetry to the passion, but once he knows he is returning to his wife, that's when the seven years of living together can culminate in a final joyous night. It's a surprising but wonderfully beautiful moment. It's true. It's true. There's nothing like any of this in Bugs Bunny. And there's not a touch of Bugs Bunny in any of this. And it was a very unworthy comparison. I have no excuse. My apologies, dear listeners. Even podcasters nod. That's it for this bonus episode of the History of Literature. Join us at historyofliterature.com and jackwilson.com. That's J-A-C-K-E, wilson.com. Keep those emails coming. Love hearing the feedback. And remember to help us out with reviews and ratings on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you are gathering your podcast. Really helps us out, and we really appreciate it. On Thursday... I'll be joined by my assistant recording engineer for another edition of the Restless Mind Show. And next time, we'll be back with perhaps the greatest love poetry ever written. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.